I'm coming from a Muslim background. I'm now more of a, like a secular humanist. I'm a Baha'i, but I, I grew up as an evangelical Christian. When I first started studying neo-paganism and all of its very diverse aspects. I used to think that I'm right and the rest of the world is wrong. There's a funny thing about my worldview. No matter how many times it changes, I'm always right. How do we have interfaith community when community has previously been built on such division and what separates us from them? I'm right and you're wrong. Once you start labeling people, categorizing of humans and ideas, you have desensitized yourself to the humanity of that other human being, to who they really are. And in the marketplace of ideas, these things are complicated, man. We all need to engage with a variety of viewpoints. A genuine multicultural connection with another. I mean, sometimes you don't need to agree or disagree. You just need to sit with it and digest. G'day and welcome everybody to another episode of the Ideas Digest podcast. A podcast that's all about exploring different viewpoints and challenging our own beliefs. My name's Conrad and for an Ideas Digest, very first, we have a somewhat of a panel discussion. I have on the line five voices from five various different religions who are all contributors to this book, Sitting in the Shade of Another Tree. Now, people familiar, Ideas Digest friends of the show will know this, this person, Keith you are one of the contributors to this book. Give us a, a pitch on, on what's going on here and why I guess everyone's gathered here as I bring people in. We got the idea for the book, um, and I think it came about through a partnership we acquire publishing. Um, we were already in discussions um, with Pathios. Matt and I both blog with Pathios and have for a long time. And um, just got this idea. Wouldn't it be great to talk to them about this idea and say, hey, what if we had a book? where we had people of different faiths. Um, and that's what Pathos is known for. It's a blogging platform, but they have a channel for, there's a Muslim channel, there's a Buddhist channel, there's uh, everything. You know, there's a Christian channel, there's everything. And so um, it just made sense to go to them with the idea and say, what if we got um, contributors from all these different faith systems, faith, you know, belief systems, but um, we do something different. Because usually when someone in one faith system writes about or talks about a different faith system than their own. It's to critique it and to say what's wrong with it, why you know my, I'm right and they're wrong. So we thought that it would be really cool instead to get authors who would be willing to talk about what's right about a, a different faith than their own. Like what do what is it about a different faith than their own that they appreciate or something that they've learned from that faith that has actually enriched their own faith practice in some way. And so uh, they love the idea uh, they connected us with a lot of their um, people on their platform that were blogging on Patheos on the different channels. Um, we also reached out to some of the choir authors that we publish, and, and many of them contributed as well. And I think the end result is something really unique and really beautiful. Um, we're really mm -hmm. excited about this book. So in this book, there's a, obviously a bunch of different people from different religions, different perspectives, different journeys, talking about what they have learned from, I guess, another religion coming from somewhere else, another perspective. The general interaction religions have does come from the I'm right and you're wrong perspective. So as I bring in everyone for podcasting friends of the show, listening to just audio, I want to see if I can leverage our propensity for judgments to help friends of the show work out who's talking and for what. So I do like, I always begin episodes judging people, but how about this time I hand it over to you guys. And as, as I kind of introduce you, give me, I, I suppose, a judgment that you get and we'll just lean into it. So Keith, 
I'll give it to you. Keith, you're the, well, this is the one you gave yourself. You're the heretic. You're one of, you're one of the heretics. You know, Matthew's one of the heretics. The ex-va- You're wearing a t-shirt for friends of the show. Listen, he says ex-evangelical. Your branding's right there. So we've got Keith, the ex-evangelical. Matthew, what's the judgment you get that you just lean into so people can really put, put stereotypes to a voice? Well, well, I wrote a book called Heretic, so Heretic is fine. I'm, um, I'm now more of a... Um like a secular humanist, and I kind of lean into that. So my faith is really just about how to be a good human. And um, my only scriptures nowadays are the Lord of the Rings and and Tolkien's writings. So Okay, I'm truly a secular religious guy. This guy worships the Hobbit and probably Gandalf. <laughs> if I worship anything, sure. And, and Gregory, uh, welcome to the Artist Digest podcast. Uh, please give me, I guess the stereotype that people judge you as, and I guess what religious uh, perspective you're coming from. I grew up Southern Baptist and went from a very young age into ministry. So um, I was a youth pastor at 20 years old and was pastoring my first church at 22 years old. And um, I think that people, when they hear uh, Baptist minister, uh, there's all kinds of judgments uh, and and Mm -hmm. expectations. Uh, that come with that. They, they expect judgmentalism. <laughs> they expect narrow-mindedness. They expect all kinds mm-hmm. of things like that. And um, so I did uh, 26 years in Baptist ministry. Uh, now I'm a behavioral health specialist, and n- none of my clients know that I used to be a pastor because mm-hmm. there would immediately be a judgment of that, either for the negative and all they would want me to be was their pastor instead of their case manager. Um, or it would be, um, you know, they would, they would expect that judgment and shy away. So, and what religious perspective are you leaning into as you now, you're not a pastor anymore, as you say, but you're still in the space. What's the religious angle you're coming from these days? I still identify as a Christian. I would say I'm pretty progressive these days. Uh, pretty open to uh, uh, a lot of views of different faiths, pretty eclectic these days, but still solidly in the Christian camp. Dr. Safi Kaskis, I believe, friend of the longtime friend of the show. Welcome back. What faith perspective are you coming from? And what's the stereotypes people throw at you that we can just lean into? I'm coming from a Muslim background. I'm a practicing Muslim and I love Jesus. And that's my contribution mm. to the book. I, mm-hmm. I, I wrote about what I learned from Jesus. And I uh, bet you uh, we, there's still plenty to learn about Jesus. Uh, and it'll come through time. And the more I follow, the better I feel. He's a lovely guy. Nice guy to follow. So if, if you're a Muslim, uh, Safi, and... You're someone who admires Jesus or, and can respect the way many Christians follow Jesus. Do, do you get many judgments from your community or people around you for being, I don't know, to, to vocalizing that? Actually, Jesus play a big role in the Quran, which is the revelation for the Muslims. And a lot of Christians don't know this. Uh, Jesus is a major personality in the Quran. He's mentioned about 90 times while the prophet of Islam, Muhammad, is mentioned only four times. Uh, The mother of Jesus, Mary, is very important in the Quran. She's the only woman mentioned by name in the Quran, 
and there is a whole chapter named after her. Uh, the Quran, the, uh, the, the, the Quran gives her a tremendous, great uh, place on earth and in heaven, and uh, she's uh, very, very, very respected, and uh, as a as a devoted woman, devoted to God, who honored her by giving her Jesus. By the way, Jesus, I believe in, come without doctrine. So he's the 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 he's a person who lived on earth, who taught uh, certain principles uh, that uh, are all around the loving God and loving neighbor. And that's the Jesus I love. Caleb, what kind of judgments are people throwing at you for where you sit? Yeah, so I'm, I'm a Baha'i, but I, I grew up as an evangelical Christian, actually like Southern Baptist. And yeah, it was... In my part in the book was kind of looking at like how I grew up and the experiences that I had and looking kind of like parallels between those experiences and the ones that I've had as a Baha'i since. And I've been a Baha'i over half my life at this point. So, you know, I've gotten to see quite a lot of the evangelical church as well as the, the Baha'i community and the way that they do things differently and, and, you know, the same in a lot of cases. Yeah. As far as judgmentalism, that's, it's interesting because in some ways, like people are really, people are pretty accepting of a lot of things these days. And in the 20 years or 23 years I've been a Baha'i, um, these days people hear you're Baha'i if they know what it is, which most people do, I'd say. You know, people are very positive, almost uniformly. Um, I don't know if they have opinions about it that are negative or not, but people feel very reluctant to say anything negative. Um, I guess Baha'is haven't been around for so, such a long period of time, so there's not a lot of blood on our hands, like metaphorically or literally, <laughs> okay. which is always helpful when yeah. you know. You're lucky. <laughs> It'd be very helpful, yeah. yeah. Hey, we I'm, didn't kill any of your ancestors, ancestors you know. Uh, and right. for friends of the show, I mean, I clearly know what a Baha'i is, but for people listening who don't know what a Baha'i is and didn't Google how to say it before you came on the show, just give us a bit of a rundown on what that is. Yeah, sure, man. I mean, like, you know, one of the things you could talk about forever, but... I'd say like there's probably three like sort of what we say like the, the core principles of unity. So we believe that there's one God that created everyone, created the universe, created every human that exists. You know, sure. Um, that also leads us kind of focus more on a almost unity of, of God in the way that Muslims would look at it, like in a, in a very technical sense, rather than a sort of a trinitarian way of looking at it. Although we we we're okay with the Trinity, we think that's a, an interesting way to look at it, but we wouldn't necessarily define God's essence that way, if that makes sense. And then we believe in the, the oneness of humanity. Uh, God created us all. Um, you know, we, we focus on ways to, you know, eliminate sexism and eliminate racism. And we're, all, we're very focused on trying to build one human family. So that's extremely important. And then in addition to that, we believe in sort of one religion. So the same God that's created everyone has revealed himself over time to different places and, and different you know, continents and, and, and civilizations over, you know, over time. So, Basically, you would have like the founders of world religions, of Judaism, of, of Christianity, of Islam, and, and now the Baha'i faith, along with Hinduism and, and Buddhism, for that matter, that we see is not just sort of being like different ways of worshiping God, but also actually like divinely created religions in their own right. And so when it comes to doing interfaith work, for us, it's like, it's not just how do you deal with the other, it's how do you deal with a fellow expression of God? You know that was actually divinely ordained now like when it comes to like the the recencies like i guess theoretically like the more recent would be the most correct because god is trying to give guidance to humanity so therefore you know the most recent would be the most relevant but but in their essence they're all from god and so that makes it easy for us to get along with people 
So they don't always return the favor, but then that's just kind of how it goes. I mean, if you look at right. the history of Christianity and Judaism, you know, Christians are like, hey, we believe in the Old Testament. You know, we're, we're totally cool, right? And yeah, Jews do not always agree with that. So outside of Iran, I don't think we get too much of a bad rap. It's the, it's the religion built around that idea of many pathways all hiking the same mountain. We get to the top and like, oh, you're here. Oh, no way, you're here kind of thing. You're, you're hiking the mountain knowing you're going to see everyone at the top being like, oh, man, I can't wait to see those Muslims up there. It's going to be a great chat. We're all just coming to discover the mystery of the divine God, I suppose, throughout history and throughout time. Like a rough, a rough summary. Yeah, I'm a rough summary. I, I can agree with that. <laughs> Very low res. Very low res. I guess a lot of you have just told me that in your journey, you occupied one position of faith, and I'm going to perhaps assume that you came from a more rigid version of faith that maybe excluded other religions and other perspectives and moved to this point now where you've written a book, you're actually looking over the fence and under the tree and going, huh, that's actually a really cool thing that I can learn from, from another religion, from another faith, from other liturgies. My question to any and all of you, whoever wants to jump in on it, is when you think back on your journey from a religious worldview that often comes with it almost hand in hand, the stereotype of most religions is that we are more correct than somebody else. And some religions, you know, the liberals might be like, yeah, well, we accept everyone, but we are more right than somebody else and, and here's where they're wrong and we get hung up in, in who's wrong all the time. As you think of your journey, what was the idea, belief, something that shifted in you that, uh, that unlocked the door to the other rooms that I guess are, are surrounding you and to look over the fence without that sense of I'm more right than somebody else? Was there a, a general idea or belief that you had to let go of or something that you picked up? that enabled this? I used to think that uh, I'm right and the rest of the world is wrong. And then with age and with more experience and with being in the United States and being exposed to everybody uh, who are able to freely express themselves, I started learning more about everybody else. And I started learning God's purpose for all of us. We are, it's like a puzzle, and we all are part of that puzzle. And uh, the beauty of humanity is God created each one of us specifically, not accidentally, specifically, and they're here on this earth to fulfill a mission. And uh, actually, uh, Although we have similarities between Christianity, uh, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam, still the differences are major. Yet, if we learn to accept each other and look around and see other people like the Hindus and other people, I think we'll be closer to fulfill God's purpose for all of us because peace is the ultimate purpose. The more peaceful we are toward our neighbors, and the more we encourage them to be peaceful with us, the closer we get to God's purpose for all of us. So with maturity, I, th I think it comes with age also, well, maturity is age, uh, you will gain a deeper uh, understanding of this and you'll start appreciating the struggle or the journey each one of us is on 
and you try to encourage them instead instead of arguing with them about where they are right now. As far as I'm concerned, all I need to do is be an example. And if others like that example, they're, they're welcome to discuss with me why I'm this way and not another way. And uh, I'm as open to discuss my faith with people and to encourage them to, to exercise their faith, you know. I, for, for instance, in the in, in United States, we have a whole lot more evangelicals than anybody else. And I'm always trying to remind my evangelical neighbors to be Jesus followers. I don't necessarily encourage them to be Muslims. I encourage them to be Jesus followers. The closer they follow Jesus, the better we all are. It almost sounds like what you're saying there cuts against a lot of the stereotypes. Often the stereotype of with age comes the narrowing of the worldview, comes the exclusion of the previous generations and things like that. So it's interesting to hear you talk about how time and exposure to evangelicals en masse, as they are in America, I was just there, they're everywhere, uh, has kind of shifted and softened you and, and allowed that to, to play out. Keith, what ideas or beliefs, is, is there like a doctrine or something for you that enabled this posture? Yeah, um, I, I love the question because, I mean, kind of similar to Safi, like evangelical Christians, when I was one, um, you know, th- I bought into that that idea, um, which is uh, which I believe is misguided, the idea that the gospel is about having all the right information about God. And so, um, and I, so I, I used to believe that. I don't anymore. And one of the things that helped me was um, a friend of mine mentioned just kind of was a joke, but he, he but the, when he said it, it was just, it clicked for me. And he said, um, you know, the, there's a funny thing about my worldview, no matter how many times it changes, I'm always right. And it was kind of funny. I was like, Oh yeah, that's a great, that's really cute. But then the more I thought about it, I realized, yeah, that's, that is true in one sense, because that's the way I have always behaved. Like every time I change my mind about something, uh, I was right before, but then I changed my mind. Okay, now I'm right. Uh, now I'm right. And I changed my mind again. Oh, now I'm still right. And it, it just helped me recognize, take a step back and recognize that that is so, uh, that's the wrong way to approach it. Like the, I think the, the more humble and honest way to approach that, that uh, phenomenon is instead to say, I was wrong before. I'm probably wrong about some things now. And guess what? I'll bet I'm going to be wrong about something in the future. So maybe it isn't about being right. Maybe I should hold loosely to the things that I think I believe. Because in the past, I think going to Safi's point about maturity, like if you've lived long enough, you've, you've done this enough times, you know, hopefully you can look back and say, yeah, man, when I was, when I was younger, when I was in my 20s or whatever, man, I, I was so messed up. If I could go back and talk to myself, I'd, I'd tell myself to calm down and not to be so sure of myself. Um, so yeah, that's something that, that now that's really helpful to me is to realize it's not about being right. Um, of course we all think we're right, whatever we believe at the moment, we wouldn't, otherwise we wouldn't believe it. So, you know, I I think it's okay to think, well, wherever I'm at right now is the best of all possible beliefs. Um, I think the mistake is when you make the, the, you go an extra step and you say, therefore everyone else is wrong. Um, and I'm absolutely right. You know, I'm like, I could say, I think I'm right, but I would also know through experience that I might be wrong about some things and give myself grace for that. And that gives me grace for other people as well. 
So if I encounter somebody, for example, that believes what I believed 10 years ago or 20 years ago, I don't say, oh, what an idiot. Because I, I don't think I was an idiot 20 years ago, you know. Um, I just believe what I believe and I had, I had reasons, you know. Um, and now I have different reasons and different thoughts. So I just try to have grace for people that don't think the way I currently think. Um, and it's been very freeing. It, it, I think it allows me to treat other people just as other human beings, where in the past I used to treat people based on whether they were a Christian or not. Uh, I, would, I would always say, oh, have they prayed the prayer? You know, are they, are they get, if they died tonight, will they go to heaven? Like I was, oh, I was all worked up over that. Whereas now I'm kind of like, you know what I mean? They're just a person and I, maybe there's something I can learn from them. And so I want to just spend time with them and listen to them. And, and maybe there's something I can learn in that you know, relationship. It sounds like similar, like an honest reflection on your experience, uh, like I'd, a honest self-reflection that looks back and goes, well, clearly I've changed, so I must have been wrong back then. Let's transport that logic. It seems like a very logical argument to bring to yourself today and say, well, if I was wrong back then, I must, I must be wrong today. So I'm going to try and build in a liturgy of admitting wrongness to maybe make that process slightly easier. And you alluded to some beliefs that perhaps stood in your way of, of doing that as you're going, well, if they're Christian, they're not a Christian. Matthew, you say you're a secular humanist where you sit today, which seem which, and, and you you know, your religious texts are more just beautiful texts. I like Lord of the Rings too. Uh, have you ended up ditching? Were there any beliefs that held you back? And I guess, why did you end up, I suppose, ditching them in that formal sense and going, you know what? I don't need this text anymore. I'm moving towards mm -hmm. just things that are inspirational that I really, um, that call forth, I suppose, something that you're finding more here in this secular humanist camp than you found in the Christian camp. Well, let me clarify. Like when I say I, th I think of myself in those terms, I'm, I'm speaking more of just the way I um, live and move in the world. Um, so humans are my primary focus in the world and relationship and community. And then my personal, see, my beliefs are, are, are personal about God and they don't necessarily have any as much direct impact on how I operate in the world. So I keep them a little more personal and close to the vest because really when it comes down to how I engage other people, what does it matter? What I believe what, I mean, I'm, I'm glad that we're all of different faiths here. But I don't, I don't approach Safi differently because he's a Muslim than, than Caleb, who's a Baha'i. Like, those two things don't enter into um, my operating system. So, and they don't with myself either. I would like to treat everyone in the same way, regardless of, of their tradition. So that's what I mean when I say secular humanist. Um, but I, I do believe in God, and I think that God's focus, if God has his own personality would also be human focused. I think God values human beings very highly. Um, so that's just kind of why my focus is that. Um, as I was listening and pondering the question as everyone else was talking, really, I, I, have, I had a, um, a pretty tough uh, mental health upbringing because of hell and the doctrine of hell and the more punitive versions of Christianity. And really, it had the opposite effect uh, it's a it kind of motivated some of my friends It had the opposite effect on me. I, I was terrified to even talk to anyone, um, let alone non-Christians about my beliefs and my doctrines and what might happen if they died. But it was constantly on my mind. But um, 
it, it really was debilitating and and caused me to kind of freeze up and, and not have any any desire to talk to anyone about Christianity or anything because it was just terrifying. And and I wasn't raised in like the traditional Christian home where everyone I know is Christians. Like um we we were all different beliefs and you know my grandfather was agnostic and things like that. So um, I wasn't like insulated with a bunch of people who I knew were going to go to heaven with me. It was more like, uh, no, pretty much everyone I know is going to hell in the things I believe in. And and I can't even talk about that right now. So once I was able to shed that, then yeah, it kind of opened up uh, the doors of like, well, what do I want to do with life now? I don't have to just avoid some terrifying place because I don't believe in that any longer. So now we just, what do I want to do? And what I want to do and where I find the most joy is in bringing joy to others. And so that's why my chapter is like on on the Bodhisattva and the concept of Bodhisattva in, in Buddhism and really about like shedding your own need for enlightenment to help others find peace and enlightenment. And that's really your focus. And And I think that concept does transcend all the religions, though all the religions are very different. And, and I, I like this book because we don't water down every religion so that we say we're all the same. What, what's really nice about this is that we, we leave room for everyone to acknowledge those differences in realizing that I think, I think the really like the point of all the religions kind of is the same, even though they're all starkly different, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So you're describing almost a putting when you had this belief in hell and you look at the world and this is how you assess it. As you look around, you go, well, you're, everything is a binary, save, not save, save, not saved. And as you Correct. let go of that, you place this humanity first. And then as you're engaging with whoever, obviously ev- not, not everyone is the same, but everyone is human. And if that's the first encounter that we have with somebody, then that openness and that open posture is a more like it is, I suppose the secular humanist putting the flourishing of humanity first is that emphasis there so caleb as baha'i how does what i suppose beliefs that you hold as part of this religion that you find most helpful in engaging with people of different religions and learning from people with different religions yeah that's a great question i mean i guess like kind of comparing that against the way that i grew up like one thing that like really kind of, you know, struck me when coming behind was the idea of narrative. So, you know, when you kind of grow up like an evangelical Christian, which I think many people here you know, tonight have done one way or the other, like there is a narrative that, you know, kind of gets taught and, but it's all about you. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's this sort of the, 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 the journey of the individual from what's probably like certain hellfire, you know, if you're in an unsafe condition to, to one where you you know you found Jesus and you're going to be okay you know forever in heaven and if you you know think outside of that box you might think about your family or your friends like Matthew was talking about which can be pretty awkward you know given the you know like their their makeup or something either it's sort of just a banal like yeah everybody around me is saved and that's fine and you don't think about the rest of the world or you do and it's just horrifying you know perhaps so like I you know definitely kind of had that sort of individual narrative at the top of my mind and and one thing about being a Baha'i is that it you know, everything's kind of opened up quite a bit because it's not that it's not that you think that God just kind of lets anything go or every path is exactly the same. Although it's more that like you see that those paths were created by God. They're not just sort of like human innovations trying to work their way, like a human sort of working towards the divine. It really is sort of like God reaching out to everybody 
you know, wherever they were at in, in human history. And so for me, it was more like, in, you know, religions aren't exactly the same and, and humans definitely leave their mark on it. But when you're looking at it from a Baha'i perspective, like it's almost like, I know that these religions are originally from God in some way or other. And, you know, who knows, like we'll never be able to like, you know, go back to the beginning and figure out how things were and, and that's fine. But it's interesting to try to find the ways, like not so much do they work together, but, but how do they work together? It's like, where is the the divine spark in this, in this tradition that I, I don't really know very much about? And you know, there's limits to what you can explore like that. But when you talk to people and, you know, you talk to Hindus, Buddhists, Muslims, Christians, Jews, you know, whoever, like, you know, you, you find something about the divine in that. And it, it really kind of all kind of weaves together to build this bigger story that you can be part of. And, you know, it, that, that's kind of a, almost like a controversial position to take in some ways, you know, these days that there is like a bigger story that like a grand narrative in, in some sense, it's, you know, but it, it feels good trying to like, for, from this you know, standpoint of, of kind of being part of that to try to find ways in which you can see threads that are woven. Even if you, you know, there's no way you'd ever find like the full picture. Mm-hmm. If you have that positive foundational assumption that everyone is on that journey and climbing that collective mountain, you're then your posture is to seek out, to look at somebody and go, I know it is there. And that's that default posture sounds like it shifts the the interaction of what you're expecting of somebody else what you're going to learn from somebody else and i suppose it sounds like you're actively engaging with lots of other religions as part of i guess one formalized religion as well yeah i think that's right it's just sort of like like most religions are going to be in your backstory if you're a behind um not everything mm. i mean i don't know what tom cruise is mm. doing it seems mm. like it's working for him pretty well <laughs> But, you know, but in general, right, it's like these are all kind of like threads that, you know, you can see as being part of your religious backstory, your religious, you know, heritage in some sense, which is kind of cool. Greg, what part of when you were a pastor, did you hold beliefs that you felt stopped you from engaging with other faiths and other religions? And did that play a role in you eventually stopping becoming a pastor? It, Yeah, I think that. From the beginning, when I was young, having grown up in conservative evangelicalism, uh, so having grown up in conservative evangelicalism, uh, we were definitely taught, you know, the, that one group is in and one group is out. And um, so I would say even at the beginning of my ministry uh, that, you know, you, you learn to teach what you were taught. And unfortunately, uh, I would say for the first few years uh, in Christian ministry, that was the uh, mantra that I was repeating. Um, and then, you know, one day, uh, I, I don't know, it was kind of like um, I started listening to actually what Jesus was saying in the Bible. Um, because Jesus didn't seem to be uh, saying there's the in-group and there's the out-group, there's the you know, the saved and the unsaved, Jesus was saying radical things like um, the Samaritan woman at the the well. You know, she just wanted to talk theology and she wanted to debate, uh, you know, the intricacies of the differences of their belief systems. And Jesus just said, you know, what really matters is whether you worship God in spirit and in truth. You know, that's the that's the core right there. or when Jesus said about the, um, the, the, the centurion who came to Jesus asking, can you heal my daughter? Um, and, and the centurion expressed a lot of faith in Jesus, even though the centurion was Roman. He was required by law to uh, worship Caesar as God. 
he was he was yes he was a god fearer he gave money to uh, build a synagogue and things like this but he was also a pagan roman and jesus said i have not seen so much faith in anybody in all of israel as in this man you know so jesus had nothing but good things to say about people who believed differently uh, so i think it was jesus who actually changed my opinion about what I was hearing from conservative evangelicals. Um, you, you get that in the Hebrew scriptures as well, uh, where Abraham uh, gives a tithe to Melchizedek, who is the priest of El Elyon. That's an entirely different belief system. But Abraham was able to look at that and say, hmm, okay, you are the... You are the king of a place called peace. You believe in God most high. I think those are good things, and I'm going to invest in that. So both in the Hebrew scriptures as well as in the New Testament, we find uh, not this exclusivism of conservative evangelicalism, but we find uh, an openness. And so it really it was just waking up to that. So the pushback you'll like, I suppose you'll get from a lot of people. And I built a bunch of judgments. I was like, should I just fire judgments at everybody? And you guys can see what sticks. And, and, and some of the ones I threw out there was like, you're all a bunch of dirty universalist, postmodernist, self-focused, cherry picking different religious religion things that suit yourself and how, how you feel. You don't take your own religion seriously. You don't have a stomach for truth because you're, you know, you're not holding firm to the hard things. I mean, good on you, Keith and, and, and Greg and Safi. Like, I mean, good on you guys for finding like the palatable stuff. But, you know, when it comes to the really hard, serious stuff, Matthew, like hell, man, you balked at it. You walked away from the, the hard truths. And obviously without, you know, that might be what some people are thinking in this conversation because we, we, we magnetize to the negative and this book is deliberately stepping into what if we rewire? Obviously, there are things we all disagree agree with um we have disagreements with and we have different perspectives on but the posture going in um seems to be how do we rewire that and change that knowing that we have disagreements and knowing that disagreements are okay but i'm still i suppose like you're saying matthew putting the human first like you have commonalities as you've outlined with jesus and that is this this magnetizing force that pulls a lot of you together especially safi you got you're looking at your christian brothers and sisters and you go okay I really admire this person. And guess what? Within my tradition, we have it too. And, and that's a perspective that Christians can look at going, oh, Islam talks about Jesus a lot. How do they talk about Jesus rather than being like, oh, you don't believe he's the divine son of God? Well, that's like focusing and magnetizing on that negative. There are these things we gather around. There are these communities that we form, whether it's Lord of the Rings, Baptist, uh, Islam, being an ex-evangelical, there are, there are things that, we, that pull us together in some form of community. But how do we connect with other people? How do we find other people? How do we have spaces? Because, you know, growing up in Australia, growing up in America, you go to work and then maybe if you're lucky, you go to church or unlucky, who knows? Uh, but in that church, you have community. You have groups that you can get together with. You have liturgy of all these things. And the, it seems like one of the bad side effects is that it's built around exclusion. Well, we all agree on this version of Jesus, white evangelical Jesus. And we all agree that, you know, this picture of Jesus. And now we can have group. My question to you guys is, how, how do we form communities? 
that are interconnected because you're all giving saying you belong like Caleb you're part of a space a tradition that you feel helps you move forward so maybe I'll go to you Caleb how do you ensure that you connect with these people who are very different to you that are not part of your immediate tradition yeah I think you just kind of have to put yourself out there a little bit I mean a lot of the activities you can be involved in wherever you live unless you live absolutely in the middle of nowhere and then there's probably still something so like I live here in Edinburgh in Scotland and you know a lot of the things that you know I'm involved with and that I you know some of my friends both Baha'is and non-Baha'is have been involved with is like doing community service right it's like if you go you know maybe there's a, an Anglican church that's doing a uh, like a, a feed the homeless breakfast on Saturday mornings like generally speaking anybody can go and serve in, in something like that so you can find a way to meet people that are different than you while still serving with them I just think that just the doing of something, the serving of, of other people, like you're going to wind up meeting people that are uh, that are out there serving God or, you know, just serving humanity, you know, just more directly. So that's that's what I would probably suggest. Like the the importance of third spaces and, and you have your space with your community that think in a similar way that people meet the easy, like secular world, the sporting clubs, these sorts of things is the, is the way in which we connect. Uh, Keith, how, how, how do we how do we have interfaith community when community has previously been built on such division and what separates us? From yeah, them? well, my my thought on this is um, I feel like. We have we have two cho- two exclusive alternatives. We have two choices when we encounter somebody of a different faith. Um, we can the first path, which unfortunately I think is the most common path we take, especially I'm just saying uh, Christians seem to take, is the uh, the path which focuses on all of the ways we're different, right? So my you know I did this myself when I was in college. I was involved in apologetics, and I was all I was all about that. Um, and I have friends that are also very much onto that. So like, um, you know, someone who's a Christian and then they look at Islam and all they want to talk about is all the ways that Islam isn't Christianity, right? They deny this, they deny that, they don't believe this, they reject that, they don't believe this. And when you take that path, what, what does that lead to? What is the ultimate outcome of that? If you choose that path, where does it lead? Well, it leads to arguments and debates. And unfortunately, we can see from history, it leads to violence and bloodshed, and war, and genocide, and it, it leads in a bad direction. And so there's another path, and I think this is a better path. The other path is when you encounter someone with a different faith than your own, is to look instead at all of the things you have in common. And if you can focus on the things that you have in common with that other person and that, and that other faith, that leads to dialogue, to conversation, to, to friendship, to peace, and so the outcome of that decision, that path, uh, is much better. It's a much better path. And I think very early on in the process, we have to make a decision, which, where do I want to go? Where, where would I like this to end up? Do I, want, do I want there to be an argument? Do I want there to be violence and conflict? Or do I want there to be understanding and conversation and peace and friendship? So for me, you know, I just think it makes more sense as a, someone who's wanting to follow the example of Jesus, I think I should choose the way of peace. Jesus seemed to be really big on that, you know. Um, Christians do this sometimes selectively. I've noticed a lot of evangelical Christians, um, like uh, really into Zionism, they, you know, they, they love the Jewish people. They can focus on 
what they have in common. They can say, you know, we agree on the Abrahamic uh, scriptures. We agree on the Old Testament, you know, the texts. Um, we believe in, you know, all these kind of the same. We share these things in common. And they will focus on that, and they'll do a wonderful job of that. I think that's great, right? And what the, what they do when, they, when they're doing that is they're ignoring all the things that Jewish people disagree with them about, right, which is a lot. Um, and I just a lot, often have encouraged my Christian friends to say, be aware of the fact that you can do this selectively when you want to. Um, and I'd say expand your capacity to do that, to listen to other people of other faiths and, and use that same filter. Start looking for something you have in common with that other person. And if you focus on that, it's going to lead to a much better outcome. Because that sounds like the very individual, what can we each individually do to be prepared when we come across somebody and what we can do when we meet somebody to be open and receptive in that space. Greg, can we build strong communities that are so inclusive and so open when, like I said before, the strongest communities have the biggest walls? And when you're inside those walls, like you were the pastor, the king of those walls, I suppose, being the pastor in there, that it builds a strong community. The Asverse then builds a really cohesive community, but it has that toxin that poisons everyone else outside. Is it possible to build a strong community that is inclusive, I guess, is my question. I think it is possible to build that community, although it may mean um, doing things that are very dangerous. Um, and what I mean by that is this. Um, I in, in the chapter that I wrote, I talked about a time in my life when my closest friends, and there I was pastoring a Baptist church, but my closest friends were Wiccans and Azatruers. Um, and, and that just seems like such a, a strange matchup for friendship. Um, and what it took was for me to reach out to a community that I, that I thought I knew about. Um, honestly, when I, when I first started studying neo-paganism and all of its very diverse aspects, um, I studied Christian books about neo-paganism, and that was horrendous. <laughs> Reading what what Christian writers will say about other religions, um, and one day it occurred to me: there's no way that I can get to either understand doctrines or understand people without actually going to the people themselves. So for me, what it took was getting out of my own silo and going down the road, which for me went actually went, you know, an hour down the road um, to a Wiccan bookstore and glancing over my shoulder to make sure none of my parishioners saw me and walking through the door and not just perusing the books, but meeting people not with the view of I'm going to convert anybody, but with the view of how can I understand and, and how can I um, form relationships and develop community with people who are very different than I am. That was a dangerous thing to do. And uh, I not, I'm not convinced that I did it perfectly, but I am convinced that I did it um, genuinely so uh yeah i think it's it takes embracing something that's dangerous if we place someone's humanity first above what people are disagreeing with 
the disagreement will always come out on top. But if we if we focus on the humanity first, which is, is a common thread that seems to be coming through. So then as we follow that train of thought, Safi, I want to come to you. It it often only takes one. And and this is this is what I've probably personally discovered doing a podcast that deliberately leans into the spaces where there is division. And it, it often only takes one as, as we all kind of sit here and agree and go, we could have a great conversation. We could even go to the areas that we disagree and it would be fascinating for us because we've built this tolerance to going, I'm okay with you thinking something completely different because I know that I feel comfortable in you seeing my humanity first. But if, it only takes one person to throw the wall up. It only takes one person to throw up the middle finger and say, nah, get out of here and, and to, to draw to cut the division between you and somebody else how how do you navigate the hostile spaces as you come in open and almost vulnerable and then that person throws the division in there and all of a sudden you find yourself in in the disagreement dynamic that we i guess we want to move out of so much well uh, let me give you a couple of examples um in the neighborhoods i'm in i have two neighbors one of them didn't want to talk to me much and uh, wanted to be uh, to himself. So I uh, wanted, I felt the need for me to connect with him. Cannot be my neighbor and I ignore him. If I, if I just ignore him, I wouldn't be me. So I made a point every time he's coming back from work, I'll act like I'm leaving the house in order to see him uh, walking into his house and I'll smile and say hello and I wish him uh, uh, a good day or something. So smiling in the, when you meet someone has a magic uh, effect. Uh, I also have another trick I'll, 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 I'll share with you. Uh, in the United States, you, you meet a lot more Jews than you do when you're living in Lebanon. We, I, we used to live in Lebanon in the Jewish quarter. So uh, like 100% of my neighbors were Jews. And uh, the rabbi used to take me uh, the, you know, right before the Thabas start so I can turn the light uh, for the synagogue and, and all of this. But... I understood, I, I gained an understanding of the fear and uncertainty some of these people have. So now in the States, uh, when I meet uh, anybody from a Jewish background, coming from Germany, coming from Europe, from Eastern Europe, or from the Middle East, the first thing I do is, do is give them a hug. And giving somebody a hug is telling them that you are dropping all your defenses and all your weapons and you're welcome, welcoming them to your inner space. I just wanted to share uh, with them that I am uh, peaceful. Uh, see, Jews and Muslims salute each other by saying, Salamu alaikum or Shalom Alehim, which is the same thing, one in Arabic, one in Hebrew. How about if we live what we are saying instead of just saying it and not meaning it, you know? 
So uh, uh, you just have, so look, you, you really put your finger on it when you said, we approach people as human beings first. If you learn to approach others as human beings, nothing else will matter much. Uh, we are all on this planet and we all going to die one day. And we will only be remembered if we do something out of the ordinary that is influential to other human beings. And I choose peace. For instance, I believe that my friendship with Keith is an act of worship. Because he and I don't have the same faith. But we, despite that, we are talking, building a relationship, uh, working together. Uh, trying to influence our neighbors together. And in that in itself is an act of worship. Because in the eyes of God, probably God is smiling at us because we are trying, despite all the differences, be friends. And he wants us to be friends. You know? Uh, so it's kind of what Jesus did when he met the Phoenician woman or the woman at the well or, or, or the centurion or the other people. You just see the humanity in those people, rather where they come from or what faith they have. And I appreciate the humanity of every human being. You know, this, it's very simple. You, you look beyond uh, where you're from, what color you are, what faith you have into, uh, you know, we, we, we all have the same color blood, you know, and same circulation. And, you know, so again, it's a level of maturity. Putting that humanity first in a very practical, consistent choice that you're talking about, choosing peace, that consistent smile, those little ways in which we can chip away at potentially that person that isn't there and you showing that you put their humanity first in our just very simple human engagements uh, seems like a challenging but very rewarding life path to choose. As you say, I want to choose peace. And, and, and I guess that's the choice. But to kind of throw some conflict at the end here, I just, I just, I like to lean, lean here. It's all too much agreement, everybody. Uh, but <laughs> you uncomfortable, Conrad. Yeah, I'm, I'm feeling very unsafe. No, where does this end? Like, I guess maybe Caleb and Matthew can kick us off here. Uh, maybe start with Caleb and then go to Matthew. Where does this end? Because obviously, you know, you're looking at the histories of different religions that have like built up where we are today. We're discovering the divine and the, and the God or whatever we call it. We're, we're all unsure. We're all building on one another. Different religions take and borrow from someone else. And, and, and I guess we're talking about continuing that tradition here in a personal sense where we choose that. But where does it end? Obviously, religions and beliefs cause very real harm. This is the defense that the fundamentalist will be hearing going, yeah, but I'm taking a stand against pet insert pet issue here abortion. The progressive will say, I'm taking a stand on insert racism here because this is impacting people in their real daily lives. And is there a line? And how do we find that line of accepting? And does condemnation and calling out and focusing on the disagreements, does it, does it have a role? Or is it perhaps not our place in, in some way, Caleb? I think it just depends on what you're trying to do. And I think it also, like when you're talking about like criticizing other faiths, 
I mean, it, as far as like things that they've done wrong or, or something like that, I, I think that you have to have standing in a community to be able to do that just practically. Um, I mean, not, not that, you know, if, if Christians are being persecuted in Iraq, you know, they can say, hey, we're pretty pissed about what's happening to us. I think that's normal. And, you know, any kind of situation like that down through the ages, you're going to find people, you know, that were kind of mad at other people for doing things rightfully or wrongfully. I, I think it's it's not that. I mean, people are going to complain and we have these ideas of human rights and things. But I think the bigger project in some sense is trying to build like a common civilization. And, you know, when you like every civilization has traditionally had some kind of religion associated with it that provides sort of like a moral framework, you know, because otherwise, like in the long run, because that's you're saying, where does it end? I mean, that's such a, you know, that that's a huge question that's not possible to really answer. But like, at least not not briefly. But at the same time, it's like when you have a civilization, like it's got this framework that allows people to be able to communicate with each other, to have common values, to build something together. And, you know, it's one of those things like, you know, you have all these different religions and these people disagreeing. I mean, you got politics, which is informed by religion one way or the other. And it's like, it's because we don't have a common vision. I think at the end of the day, we we have to build some kind of common vision. And it won't be, you know, some kind of flip the switch overnight. It'll be probably through some kind of trial and error, bloodshed, you know, not good stuff. But I mean, I think in the, in the end, that's the only way forward, medium to long term. Standing, you're, you're pointing out standing has a place in having that conversation. Matthew, the progressive stereotypical left ha- comes now in modern political society with a call out culture you you're you're going i'm not standing for this insert issue here and i suppose conservative fundamentalist groups have been doing that for quite some time because taking a stand for something like standing up for someone i suppose if i'm to be charitable to everybody you know to do what all you guys are saying here put everyone's humanity first i'm going to assume that everybody believes that they are doing that the the funda- the fundamentalist that protests abortion clinics, a very American example, doesn't happen in Australia, but that does that. They are saving lives by calling these liberals out and these liberals out for, because they're poisoning society and they're against the common vision of humanity that Caleb might be trying to build. And then, you know, progressives are accused of the same thing with, the, with standing up and protecting people. H- how do we navigate that space? Is, is there a place for, for calling for calling out oppression and thing and th- is call out culture helpful or harmful? I don't even know what the exact question is there. Yeah. Well, I mean, again, it, it, everything's on a spectrum, right? So, so the, the, the conservative right and the progressive left are not monolithic and, and all that, although <laughs> not to throw shade, but it seems like there's a certain portion of the conservative right that has become more monolithic. Um, and we can, we're not going to talk about Trump and all that, but um, I, I do think that there is a place for calling things out. I would always start with, so if we're thinking whether we're harming someone or we're calling something out, I would ask the people who are being harmed. And, and um, so if we're like, hey, the LGBTQ community, they, you know, of which I'm a part of, has been saying for a long, long time, this is harmful to us. So then when we ask those folks, what is harmful to you? You know, a lot of, a lot of Christians will say, oh, no, this is how we love them. Well, have you asked them if this is loving? Well, no, it's just we love them like the Bible loves them. That's the hard love that we're going to give them. Well, no, are you asking them if, if you love them? So I think before we do any calling out, we need to have communication with the people 
that are being harmed? Like, are, are people who are against abortion talking to doctors and women who are considering abortions, or are they just yelling? And the progressives on the left, if they're just yelling, well, maybe they should talk to the people who are they're trying to defend. Because a lot of times, I will say, and it's especially true of white folks, they'll step in the way and be the, the lead of calling things out when they haven't even talked to the people who are marginalized first on how to do it, right? So you get the white knight syndrome. And you get that a lot on the left. We're going to speak up on behalf of black people, but not actually listen to black people. And it's like, okay, if we're concerned about the, 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 the uh, community that is allegedly being harmed, we need to talk to them first. And, and to, yeah, a lot of people don't do that. They just, you know, I think it does go back to everyone thinks they're doing the right thing and it makes us feel good personally. Mm, mm. And the theme you're pulling out there is once again, connection how do we connect with these people if i'm to combine those two answers that i got from you caleb and you matthew it's 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 this where am i standing and who who am i connected with am i connected with these people and where am i standing and then i suppose you can ask the practical questions of like am i doing anything other than just signaling my virtues like people have asked me matt why do you focus so much on christianity and you don't critique islam or this and that because i don't come from that's on my house like sweep off your mm. own porch, all that kind of stuff, right? Why would I critique something mm. I know very little about compared to like, mm-hmm. like Jewish prophets weren't, I mean, they did critique other cultures, but really their job was to critique their own and their own kings and their, you know, so it was like an internal critique. That's why I focus on, I mean, I was raised mm. conservatively in the church for 25 years. So if I'm going to critique anything, it's conservative Christianity and progressive Christianity, because those are the camps I've been in. So it's always an mm. internal critique. You're not going to hear me going off about you know, what Baha'i folks are doing. You guys are peaceful, though, compared to Christianity as a whole. But you know what I mean? Like, sweep off your own porch before you worry about your neighbors, right? Mm -hmm. Speck in the eye, Jesus talked about this stuff, right? Greg, is there a line? Are we taking a stand? Are we being, you know, those judgments that I threw around earlier? Is it just, is it weak? Is it these weak, non-believing to not take a stance? Or should we be, is there a place for taking a stand in in some kind of way? Uh, I think that there is a time to take a stand. I think that when we see Jesus uh, overturning the tables in the temple. He's taking a stand. You know, he's, he's saying, look, there's, there's something that's happening here uh, where the commerce that's taking place in the house of worship is actually keeping people out. It's, it's preventing people from coming into this house of worship. And for Jesus, um, that, that marginalization of others was a place where he had to take a stand. So again, it was a matter of doing something dangerous and literally upsetting the apple cart. Uh, So I think that there is a time. Um, One thing that you asked me earlier was, does any of this have anything to do with why I'm no longer a pastor? (laughs) And I think I I didn't leave ministry because of this, but it is a reason why I'm not going back into ministry is that, uh, I'm, I'm in a place where I just cannot um, go back into an environment where I would have to keep silent about certain things that just need to be said. So um, there is a time to take a stand, but feeling that out and knowing how to and when to and where to, that's the challenge.
uh, but always doing it with love. I guess this is the challenging portion of it all when I'm coming back to what Safi was saying, like we choose peace. We choose, we individually all have to make these choices. We can't control the other people and how they interact. And there seems to be always the ability for us to believe, obviously, that we are in the right and you know, there there is obviously a time to be flipping tables as you're talking about, Gregory, and, and as Jesus, you know, there is a time for this this anger where that is, you know, the most appropriate response. But then there's also the room for that is potentially what everyone says every time we enter with the hard disagreement first. To wrap this up, I want to get each of your like quick pitch on they're throwing labels at you, obviously. We love it here at Ideas Digest. You are picking and choosing different religions. You don't have a stomach for truth. Give me a pitch for encouraging people to lean that direction, to look over at the buffet of Islam and the all-you-can-eat area of Christianity and maybe uh, some secular humanism on the side. Give me a pitch for that, for that approach, and we'll, we'll start with you, Caleb. Yeah, so I think my pitch for that is basically you, you're saying like, what is the pitch for for aiming for thinking outside the box and and seeing like you know diversity mm. in religion is, is a good a thing. a regular weekly shopping trip to the eclectic religious <laughs> beliefs to go what what can I put in my cart today that can enhance my life? Yeah, I mean the I guess you got like the twofold reasons. I mean, the first is sort of just like you know psychologically it's probably good for you to look outside the box, even if you know you're you know, hardcore fundamentalist. You know, maybe just looking outside the box will confirm you in that. Perhaps, maybe it won't. Hopefully, it won't. From from my perspective, I, I guess like personally, like when it comes to you know looking outside and seeing what else God has done, I mean, like from a Baha'i perspective, it's literally a divine imperative. Like you're supposed to do that. You're supposed to associate the, with the followers of all religions in a spirit of goodwill. I think is the is the the quote from Baha'u'llah. So we actually, from a Baha'i perspective, we don't really have a choice. And so, question is like. Maybe, maybe that's actually not, not like sort of wishy-washy. That's what God wants. If wishy-washy can be a thing, but like, it's actually like, you know, you're supposed to. <laughs> uh, Safi, what, what's the, what would you say to your, I guess people, the people around you is a bit, and to encourage them to like, no, no, like check out, let take a look over the fence. Well, I have a two dimension mission that I live by. I try to change my Muslim, uh, you know, community into uh, more progressive values. At the same time, I try to be an example to my neighbors with the majority of Christian and, and, and Jewish neighbors. So this double-edge uh, mission or double-dimension mission is really uh, a lot of work because uh, uh, to try to uh, reread Islam and represent represented and you uh, based on a fixed text of the Quran uh, yet a, a, a meaning that's always uh, dynamic based on the 21st century uh, you know my, my Quran translation that I did uh, a couple of years ago was based on a new reading of the Quran on my per present understanding not on a classical understanding because we're not the same. We're always changing, and we need to, we need to to move forward. So this moving forward is basically toward pluralism, for me. 
So uh, I have I have my own community to bring along, and I have the the rest of my neighborhood to try to appeal to and bring along with me. Uh, and mm-hmm. it is not that easy, really. Mm-hmm. Keith. Yeah, well, I'm glad you came back around to this because uh, you mentioned this earlier and I wanted to respond earlier about, to this thing about cherry picking. Yeah. Because here's, here's what I think, and I think Matt would agree with this because we've talked about this before. Here's the deal. Everybody cherry picks. Um, mm. You know, evangelicals, uh, you know, conservatives, they're, they're cherry picking. Um, people that are hardline conservatives in Islam or Judaism or you know, any religion, they're cherry picking in their faith as well. Um, I know from experience that Christians are cherry picking. What they're doing is saying they're looking only at, you know, their cherry picking is God is wrath, God is anger, you know, let's this verse over here, that verse over there. And they're building a case based on their cherry picking. And, and you know, I, I'll admit, yes, I'm cherry picking too. I'm looking at you know, God is love, and all who live in love live in God, and God lives in them. I'm looking at Jesus saying, turn the other cheek, and bless those who curse you, and do, do good to those who hate you. I'm cherry-picking as well. The question is, um, are you cherry-picking, what's the fruit of that? What's the result of that? Are you cherry-picking in such a way that you end up with something that's very um, divisive, and uh, the fruit of it is conflict and anger and violence, um, you know, and, and this very strong us versus them thing? Well, then, you know, I guess you can do that, and people do. Uh, I would just say I would prefer to cherry-pick so that the end result is something that uh, includes everybody, where everyone can love everybody, everyone can take care of everybody, Um, and we can, again, as we're saying in this conversation, we can treat each other uh, as human beings and celebrate each other's humanity. I'm so curious. I I, kind of want to turn it back and say, how could you not, like, there's so much diversity of thought and the universe is so large and it's like, how can I, I was, I was thinking about um, it the other day, like so many people or how many people, I don't want to say so many people, how many people ask it rhetorically, believe something at age, let's say 21 and at age 60, they, they essentially believe the same thing and how uncurious or non-curious you have to be to, to be there. Like, I don't know. I've had so many experiences from age 21 to, and I'm 41 now. Our brains don't develop till we're 25. Um, just the natural curiosity in the world, just to be interested in why, why are there so many billions of people who have this entire other faith belief? You know, there's got to be something to it. I'm not saying it's a bandwagon fallacy. They're right, therefore I'm wrong. But there's got to be some, there's got to be something to all the things that people are talking about, and I should have a natural curiosity of that doesn't mean I have to jump in their camp and just bounce around I, I don't mean buffet like that I'm going to be a Baha'i on Monday and then a, I'm going to convert to Judaism on Friday that's I think to not take things seriously but to continue to learn and say what can I learn from these people that I before had nothing I didn't know anything about there's got to be something there otherwise I think we're just not paying attention or we're just not naturally curious and I'm just a naturally curious person yeah it sounds like it's a posture and an assumption that you look around the world at and, uh, and assuming that there's some depth to it, assuming that there's reasons for people believing what they believe. Uh, Gregory, finish us off here with, with, I guess, the pitch that you would make to perhaps some of the people that you pastored back in the day that would look at you and say, well, you're not taking it seriously. You're picking and choosing. What's, what's your pitch to them? Uh, I would 100% agree with Keith that everybody cherry picks. Uh, but I would tell, uh, the folks that I used to pastor, um, I live in Canada now, but I'm from the south of the U.S. South. 
So I would say one of the things that we loved in the U.S. South was our ice cream socials. And we would get together and everybody would bring their ice cream makers and we would all make homemade ice cream. And there were all the toppings. And you could put strawberries and you could put chocolate chips and you could put whatever you wanted on that ice cream sundae. And nobody judged anybody for what they put on their ice cream sundae. That ice cream was the foundation. And I think we tend to agree on the foundation. You know, you might have a vanilla foundation, but then it's what you put into it that makes the difference. But nobody judged anybody for what they put on top of their ice cream sundae. And the reason was we didn't get together because of ice cream. It was never about ice cream anyway. It was always about love. So that's what I would tell the people that I used to pastor. It's all about love. That's that's, that, that's one love to quote the great mm. prophet Bob Marley. Mm-hmm. Thanks everybody for taking so much time to, I guess, begin a discussion. Cause I would like to Keith and I have discussed, maybe do a bit of a mini series on this idea of, you know, what's going on in other religions, what we can learn. And then maybe just maybe when there's enough trust, goodwill positioning and assu- good assumptions based around everybody, maybe then the good faith, disagreements and stretching of ideas can can begin in a, in a space like that the final pitch is for the book matthew sitting in the shade of another tree where can people find it when does it come out etc it's officially out uh, september 26th so depending Ooh, on when right. so it's probably this, already out so it's probably if it's yeah. already out we have a link on amazon that's where we encourage mm-hmm. folks to get it um, I'm I'm hoping that you'll see it all over Pathios because it's a lovely partnership with Pathios. But yeah, there'll be links everywhere and uh, send everyone to Amazon because it's the quickest and you know cheapest for us. Excellent, excellent. So thanks everybody for taking so much time to explore just some of the things we have in common and the different postures that we can all have towards a more curious, more open, more inclusive, more accepting uh, worldview that can, I guess, expand us in ways we didn't know before. So thanks everybody for tuning in. As always, my email, ideasdigest at gmail.com. And you can find us on Instagram at ideasdigest. Thanks everyone for tuning in and I'll catch you all in the next episode.